Hey guys, welcome back to Unpopular. I have a very sexy episode today. We're talking about dead porn stars and Playboy tell-alls. Sounds like a Jerry Springer episode. Also, I don't know how sexy dead porn stars is. That sounds a bit uh, wrong. But anyway, that's what we're talking about today. Before I get into that, I want to do a, like a really, really, really quick Vanderpump Rules premiere because I didn't cover it on Patreon. And... Look, this is obviously the first season since Scandavol, and I'm feeling pretty good about the show. I thought maybe I'd be a little bit more cynical, because I think a lot of the fans have been getting kind of like Vanderpump fatigue, and everyone was like, Scandavol was fake, even though it clearly wasn't fake, but I think people are really in that mindset now, and I get it, because I get like that with a lot of The Housewives and a lot of other reality shows, but I'm just back to watching it like how I used to when it first started, which is like okay, these people are awful, but I love watching them and I kind of want to be best friends with them, but they're also like the worst and it's just a TV show and it's entertainment and whatever. I'm not like thinking too deeply at this point. So I'm not like team anybody. I did defend uh, Rachel and Tom Sandoval a bit last season just because like the backlash was so overblown and this whole like George Floydification of Ariana was absurd, but I'm over it now. Like I'm happy for everybody. Like the Ariana worshipping, it's a lot, but whatever, like good for her. Make those millions, like milk it. You'd be stupid not to be a sellout be fake. I mean, I don't know when she's being fake and when she's being genuine. Like, I don't care. I'm just like, cool. It's entertaining. Rachel, I'm completely over. I mean, she's not on the show anymore, so she's not even in my orbit. Like, I tried to listen to a podcast. It's the worst podcast I've ever, ever, ever heard. Like, it is literally so bad. I can't even like her in, like, a tongue-in-cheek, contrarian, unpopular podcast. Like, let me stand her kind of way. It's just... It's too much. She's too weird and boring. If she gets cast on, I don't know, House of Villains or one of those shows, maybe then I'll be, like, interested in her again. But until then, like, bye, Rachel. Go do your thing. I'm happy that you left the show and that you prioritized your mental health, but you're no longer in the spotlight now, according to me. So live your life. And then Tom Sandoval... He is a loser, and he has been making himself look, like, pretty bad with some of the reels that come up in my feed, but, like, whatever. He's, like, fun to watch. It's fine. He's hot. He does look really good. Like, I feel like whatever he's had done, like, definitely he's hit the gym a lot more because his body is, like, sick, and I think his style is getting better. I don't think his style is as, like campy as it was before he would always like dress up for like attention and now i think he's like actually got a bit better style i think he's had some you know some kind of like fillers and you know facial structuring whatever he looks very good so good for him and i want to give a shout out to lala for understanding the assignment because i'm a long time lala hater and i still am and i thought she was disgusting in how she like attacked rachel last season and then she used it to sell those stupid send it to daryl hoodies which is maybe the most cringe thing in the history of Bravo merchandise. Like, I don't think it gets any worse than send it to Daryl. Well, she really has, like, no moral compass, and she will do anything for money because on the premiere, she suddenly decides after all the hating that she's done, all the nastiness on social media, the send it to Daryl, everything, on the premiere, suddenly she feels bad for Rachel and tries to call her so they can have, like, a sit-down lunch together. And if you read between the lines and you know what was happening behind the scenes, basically, they all came back to film. They assumed that they could just treat 
Rachel however the fuck they wanted and just have her, like, come back on the show. And then she's like, actually, no, I'm, like, probably not coming back and I'm focused on my mental health. And they're like, what? You mean you're not coming back even though the whole reason that we even still have a job is because of you and Tom Sandoval and your affair saved all of us and made us more relevant than we have ever been in a decade of this show and has earned us all this money and now that gravy train could be running out and Lala straight away is like, oh shit, okay, maybe I crucified you and bullied you to suicide like six months ago, but... We need your ass for ratings, so I'll be her friend, I'll give her a call, and good for her, because, like, it's a TV show, that's how these things work, somebody has to do it, and even though it didn't work out and, you know, Rachel didn't end up coming back, at least Lala tried. Remember, Lala started out in the game as a sugar baby escort, then she got with a sleazy cook Hollywood producer who she used to cast her in a string of $2 action movies with Bruce Willis, who was probably in the throes of dementia at that point. She will do anything, okay? There's She has no moral boundaries, no nothing, and good. I love it. It's great. It's good for TV. So I'm happy for everybody. I'm not emotionally invested, you know, any which way. I'm not taking it too seriously. Some stuff is real, obviously. Some stuff is, like, produced storylines. It's a TV show. Like, it opens with um, Ariana and Katie in the opening credits in their Something About Her sandwich shop, which, like, it's still not open. Like, it's not a real... It's not happening. Like, that shop has never seen the light of day. It was bullshit. So, you know, you just have to take it all with a grain of salt. And I will say, though, I'm a little bit concerned about Schwartz because he looks so bloated and, like, useless now without Katie. Meanwhile, Katie has had this, like, glow up. She cut her hair, as people tend to do when they have a breakup, and... She looks good, and I worry about what's going to happen to Tom once all of this reality stuff ends. But anyway, there's my Vanderpump recap. If you want more Bravo stuff from me, it's on Patreon. The last Patreon episode I did, I ripped Kimberly Archie, who used to work for Tom Girardi, and she has swindled her way into creating a new Hulu documentary, The Housewife and the Hustler Part 2. Well, she didn't create it, but she's had some involvement in it, and It's a whole shady thing. There's a whole backstory for it. So check it out on Patreon. Okay, so RIP to porn star Jessie Jane, who was found dead last week at age 43 with her boyfriend. I don't usually talk about celebrity deaths. This isn't the Playboy murders with Holly Madison, but I love a tragic porn industry story. And I actually met Jessie Jane years ago at a fan signing. Yes, I went as a fan in Sydney with my friend. There is a photo of me with Jessie Jane somewhere. So I'm, like, really obsessed, basically, with all things to do with kind of, like, the sex industry, and, like, I always have been. Like, whether it's old-school, like, 1980s streetwalkers, I love those movies. They're, like, old-school straight-to-VHS movies, Angel. There's Angel 1, 2, and 3, and it's about a schoolgirl who, like, moonlights as a prostitute at night, and then, like, she's taking down, like, crime on the streets. It's iconic. Anyway, I love all of that. I love Playboy models. I love porn stars. I love, like, OnlyFans stuff. I love Sugar Babies. You know, Debbie Does Dallas. Like, all the behind the scenes of it. I'm not talking about, like, you know, the sex on camera. I just like all... How did it come about? How much money did they make? You know, I loved um, Jocelyn's Cabaret on Zeus because it was about strippers and sex workers. I'm fascinated by it. I love the business. I love, like, 
who is the most famous, who is making the most money, where are they now? Like, I love a good porn star, where are they now story, because it's like you find out what happened to porn stars from like the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, and there's a really good documentary series actually called After Porn Ends, and I think it's on like a lot of mainstream uh, streaming services, and it's just like interviews with former porn stars, and it goes into their glory days and the highs and lows and whether or not they regret it and some of them are like fun success stories of like yeah I came into the business and I was really smart and I came in with a plan and I made millions and I loved what I did and you know everything was fine I didn't really have any bad experiences you know like Lisa Ann um, who was in um, the Sarah Palin parody uh, famously and she's gone on to do like all these other things and she's written books and she's like a big podcaster now and she's you know a really amazing success story and then I also love obviously Obviously, the sad, depressing stories of like someone comes into the industry and they were turned out and then they spiral into drug addiction and, you know, meet an untimely demise. I love it all. So, Jessie Jane, her heyday was in the 2000s and she really has, I guess, like a typical American porn star look, like the blonde bimbo with the big fake like breast implants. But she was actually so pretty. And I think that she was a natural beauty besides the breast implants for the most part. Like, she stood out because she looked like somebody that had done, like, a bunch of plastic surgery to achieve her look. Like, she had this tiny little nose and she had, like, a really big smile and, like, a very chiseled jawline. But I think it was pretty much all her. Like, people would spend tens of thousands of dollars to look like what Jessie Jane pretty much looks like naturally. And she also sounded like a cartoon character, and I think that was pretty much her real voice. Like, she might have exaggerated a bit, but she had this weird, like, bimbo cartoon voice that was really funny, and it was all her, and, like, she had a lot of star quality compared to just anyone that can go on OnlyFans. And back in the day, in the 2000s, she was signed to this company called Digital Playground, and Back in the 2000s, Digital Playground and Vivid Entertainment, they were like the two big mainstream porn companies that if you were like top talent, you would go there. So like Digital Playground, they had all of the, you know, beautiful, the most beautiful girls, I think. They had a lot of diversity as well. And like some of the girls that they had actually looked like they should be actresses. It was like, wait, you're doing porn? Like, shouldn't you be in a movie or something? And then Vivid Entertainment, they did all of the celebrity sex tapes. That was their big thing. I think they did Jenna Jameson in the 90s, and then they transitioned more into celebrity sex tapes back when those were big. So they did the Kim Kardashian tape. They did Farrah Abraham, uh, Courtney Stodden, Tom Sizemore had a sex tape when he was a drug addict and was, you know, doing it to buy crack, which is, I think, how a lot of celebrity sex tapes were made. Celebrity sex tapes are either made to get publicity back in the day of, like, okay, I need attention, I need to copy, you know, like what Kim Kardashian did, or I have a drug problem and I need money and I'm going to do a sex tape because there's this other girl, Jessica Sierra, and she was on, I think, the first season of Celebrity Rehab, and it was all about how, like... She was on the original season of Idol, I believe, or maybe season two, and she was, you know, doing really well, and it was, like, the biggest show back then, and then she got a drug problem, and then she did a sex tape, and, uh, yeah, and then Dr. Drew basically saved her life. Very juicy story there. Um, Vivid also did Pamela Anderson. They got the rights to that, so that was their whole lane. And in the 2000s, 
The porn industry was in like a really weird like transition phase because the internet had pretty much killed the business. Like in the 90s, that's when you were making like crazy money. Like Jenna Jameson and uh, Tara Patrick and those kind of people, they were making so much money because it was right before you could just go on, you know, Pornhub and Xtube and get like all your porn for free. Like you actually had to buy the DVDs. So the top stars are making crazy money. And then in the 2000s, the whole internet thing was happening where everyone was just getting porn for free. But it was right before, like, social media had really exploded with, like, Instagram and they didn't have OnlyFans. So we hadn't moved into that era of girls just being able to be like, all right, well, I'll make a huge following on Instagram and then I'll make all this money on OnlyFans or I'll make all this money doing, like, webcamming. So it was like this one dark spot where a lot of people were not making money and it was only kind of like a small group of performers that were really still able to have, like, a huge kind of, like, reach and, like, name recognition in the industry, like, you know, old school style, like the 80s and 90s style, like to have like, you know, their name on like a box cover and people recognize who they are. So if you were signed to Digital Playground, which is where Jesse Jane was, that meant that you were legit and you were kind of like the cream of the crop. And I mean, they still had like triple X stuff. It wasn't, you know, this wasn't like 15 plus, like it was still like all triple X, but it wasn't like gross, low budget exploitation. Like everyone was like very attractive and beautiful. It was shot professionally. They'd really like, um, they would do like themed movies with like plots and like with a budget. Um, there's that actress, Sasha Gray. I don't know if you know her, but she is one of like the biggest crossover success stories, like Sasha Gray and Tracy Lords. And Sasha Gray, she did a lot of digital playground movies. And then she went on to actually have a real acting career for a while. She was on Entourage. She was in uh, The Girlfriend Experience from Steven, uh, Steven Soderbergh. Like she did a lot of stuff. And now I think she's a Twitch streamer. Or I think she maybe she just gave up Hollywood and she seems pretty introverted. So she probably makes more money literally just like sitting at home like gaming and having people throw money at her. So Jessie Jane, she starred in these movies back then um, called Pirates, Pirates 1 and 2, and they were the most expensive porn films ever made. They're like a parody of Pirates of the uh, Caribbean, and they're really funny. And back in the day, during, you know, college years, me and my friends, we used to smoke a bunch of weed and we would watch um, Pirates and we'd watch all the other bad movies like The Room and like Troll 2, all of those. So we had like Pirates in our kind of like stoner bad movie catalogue. And I've actually never even seen the real Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I've only seen like the porn Pirates, but I love them. And you can find them online, like with all the porn cut out. So you can just watch it for, you know, like the storyline if you want. And the acting so bad. And Jesse Jane is like, such a bad actress. I don't even know how she was able to remember her lines. I feel like it would have been like painful just trying to get her to remember the script. But anyway, love them. So when Pirates 2 came out, she did like a big tour around the world to like promote it because it was the most expensive porn movie ever made. And she came to Australia for a signing and it was at a sex shop in Penrith, which is a very bogan area, which I would, like, never go to. I'm sure it was Penrith. If it wasn't Penrith, it was, like, around there, like, the Sydney's western suburbs where just, like, someone like me would never go there. And it was filled with the most questionable-looking people. And I remember rocking up with my friend, and I'm, like, you know, lining up. And then I was kind of scared because it was, like, a rough crowd. Like, they were giving incel. They were giving homophobic. And I think my look, I mean, obviously I'm gay and I probably just look like 
like gay and skinny, like some skinny dork that like couldn't get any pussy. So I just like whack off in my basement to Jesse Jane. Like I feel like that's probably what people were thinking seeing me there. And I wanted to be like, no, wait, guys, like I'm actually cool and normal. Like I'm just gay. But anyway, I'm waiting in line to meet Jesse Jane, get my poster signed. I don't think I have the poster anymore, sadly, but you know, I want to get my poster signed, want to get a photo with Jesse terrified the whole time that someone will realize I'm like a faggot and I will get like, you know, mass gang beaten there because of the fucking riffraff that we're going to see Jesse. Um, and I thought that maybe she would be like rude or have an attitude or something, but she was like very into it, like just into the whole appearance, like a real showgirl. Like she was like squealing and dancing around. Maybe she was on drugs. I don't know. Like she was having a good time. And when you went up to get a photo with her, she let all of the girls grab her boobs, but she wouldn't let the guys do it. And like when I went up, I wanted to be like, Jesse, like I'm gay. Like I can grab your boobs too. But like, you know, I didn't want to say that. So I did not get to touch her breasts, sadly. But I love her. And it was all downhill for her after she met me because she really started to like spiral when she got into her thirties and, you know, she was no longer the top star anymore. Like other people came up and to be honest, I kind of stopped following, um, all the, I mean, I know some of the top stars now because I interviewed Angela White. I know a handful of the top people now, and I know more of sort of some of the OnlyFans people, but I just feel like, after the era of Digital pr- Playground and, like, Jessie Jane and uh, um, I'm trying to think of the other girls, Riley Steele, all of those girls, like, after that whole era, because of, like, the internet and it was so easy to just get on OnlyFans and to, like, build a following on Instagram, like, like everyone's a porn star now, so you can't really even, like, follow it as closely of, like, who's the biggest now? Because it just, like, everyone's, like, doing porn. Like, you go on a reality show, like, a dating show, and then, you know, Love Island, then it's, like, launching my OnlyFans account. So I don't, like, follow the people as closely because it's, like, there's no stars. Like, I liked the celebrity star factor that came. Like, that's why I was so interested in all those people at that time. And anyway, her career starts going downhill And I'd heard other porn stars, because sometimes I'll listen to, like, porn star interviews, and they would be like, yeah, you know, Jesse really likes to party, which is code for, you know, you have a drug problem. And I really caught up with her in the last 10 years, so I was just, like, doing a Google of her before. And in 2015, she was on TMZ because she passed out on the sidewalk in Las Vegas, um, you know, allegedly drunk. And then she came out, and she's like, no, I was actually... Um, you know, someone slipped a roofie in my drink and I was drugged. It's like, um, no, you clearly have like issues and you passed out on the sidewalk. Then a few years later, they found her drunk and covered in her own urine um, after a football game and she was arrested. A couple of years after that, um, she was arrested with like a domestic dispute because her and her boyfriend were like, you know, going at it, fighting each other. And now her and her boyfriend are dead after an overdose. And they died in Oklahoma, which is where she lived. Like, she grew up in Oklahoma, but I was like, wow, that's where you ended up because she would have made so much money during her peak. Like, maybe maybe she just loved living in Oklahoma. I don't know. But I would just love to know how much money she had at the end of her life because I know that definitely during her heyday, she would have been raking it in. Like, she had her own sex toy line. She did uh, feature dancing and club appearances, which, like, basically 
they would pay, I don't know if they still do it, they probably do, they pay porn stars to uh, appear at nightclubs and do like, you know, like on the stripper pole, they do like a strip routine and they make like shitloads of money because they get money from like the venue off of all of the drinks and everything and then guys are like tipping them and they can keep all the tips. So you make like a lot of money. And she also did mainstream TV shows and, and other projects. And if you go on YouTube... And just type in, like, Jessie Jane Porn Star. There's an interview of her, and she must still be in her 20s, and she looks so beautiful. And it's like, Jessie Jane, CNBC, the business of porn, and they're asking her about, like, they put her on, like, a list of, like, the the richest, most successful porn stars. And she seems, like, very together and, like, articulate, and she seems, like, very smart, and, you know, she knows how to make all the the most money, she knows all the tricks, and it's like, okay, girl, wow, like, you're really, you know, making something of yourself off of this industry, and then you look at where she went, and very sad. So, anyway, guys, I am a porn industry encyclopedia, so if you want any more uh, porn-themed, like, you know, deep dives into parts of the industry or people, yeah, maybe I should do, like, a porn true crime. I bet I could do it better than Holly Madison's Playboy Murders because, yeah, there's some pretty juicy, like, porn star deaths out there. On that note, I read Crystal Hefner's new book. It is called Only Say Good Things, Surviving Playboy and Finding Myself, and it's already a New York Times bestseller right up there with Bad Mormon by Heather Gay. If you don't know, Crystal was Hugh Hefner's last wife before he died. She did star on one season of Ease the Girls Next Door, so when Holly, Bridget, and Kendra all left because they got famous and didn't need to fuck Hugh Hefner anymore, they brought in Crystal, who ended up marrying Hef and these two really annoying twins and fun fact those twins at one point they started this rumor after Heidi and Spencer left the hills that Heidi did a sex tape or like a threesome sex tape with the twins it was all fake but they put it out there for publicity that's some pop culture history for you so after I read Crystal's book then I went and read Holly Madison's book which came out about 2015 and it's called Down the Rabbit Hole it has this like Lewis Carroll Alice in Wonderland theme and I have always avoided reading it even though I you know I love Playboy like I said and I love porn culture and all of that I never read Holly's book because I think with a lot of other people, I just felt like, really, bitch, like, you use Hef for all this money and all this fame, and now you come out with a sob story tell-all book. I will say that I definitely have a more nuanced view of both Holly and Crystal after reading their books and then kind of, like, doing my own research into, like, background stuff a bit more. And I just want to say off the bat what my view on Playboy is and all the various allegations, so we're clear off the bat. I'm not black and white on it, like... I think it's a very complicated legacy. Of course, I think that there were sexual assaults and, you know, exploitation and things of that nature, primarily in, like, the 70s and 80s, I think, as Playboy matured into the 90s and then the 2000s. I don't think there was a lot of that. But I definitely think in, like, the heyday of the 70s, 80s, the drug, sex, and rock and roll and and the parties there, Hef was obviously a raging narcissist and a misogynist in many ways. He wielded a lot of power and probably didn't always use it in the most virtuous ways. I remember there was a story in uh, Secrets of Playboy about, I can't remember, I think they said they may have killed somebody to cover up a drug uh, drug trafficking. So I do think there was like some shady stuff back in the day. I just don't 
love the whole sort of post me tooing of Hugh Hefner where the entire Playboy brand now has been turned into some like monstrous rape dungeon and you know evil on society and people you know want to downplay all of the cool stuff about Playboy and just what Hugh did for free speech and civil rights and I know that he still has a foundation now which fights for the first amendment and he did do a lot of good stuff and I think that the magazine especially in the 70s and 80s was filled with like really important high quality journalism and you know really great writing really beautiful pictorials I own a stack of Playboys and I was going through them the other day and I was posting some of it on Instagram, and I found one cover shoot with the German act- uh, German actress Nastasia Kinski. She was in Paris, Texas, which is an amazing movie. She was photographed by Helmut Newton, who was like one of the most iconic fashion photographers of all time. And the photography was really beautiful. And I had some other celebrity pictorials there. I had someone from Dynasty, uh, Kim Basinger. That was a really beautiful shoot. Like the old school Playboys, uh, the pictorials are really nice and great to look at. And I just think as a brand, it really is a bastion of American culture. Like it is truly iconic. And you can go through those old magazines and you can find the most incredible interviews with like politicians, world leaders, celebrities, public intellectuals, like historically it's very important and I love it. And I love like the history of it. Um, And I have nothing against, like, former playmates and girlfriends coming out and telling their stories because, you know, it is interesting. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I thought this place was so glamorous and we all heard about the Playboy Mansion parties and then actually there was kind of, like, you know, a dark side to it, even if it's just like, hey, the mansion was actually, like, kind of gross and the decor was, like, really outdated and the grotto was, you know, gross and, um, you know, fucking Hef, like, wasn't that fun. But just, like... At the same time, Playboy's entire legacy doesn't need to be completely, like, dragged through the mud and desecrated. I hate that. I don't just blindly believe every accusation lobbed at Hefner and Playboy either. Like, I was very uh, critical of that Secrets of Playboy docuseries, and I only watched bits and pieces of that, but my gut told me as soon as it came out and I saw kind of the trailer and the promos and stuff, I'm like, "Mm, this is giving hit job. And since then, the credibility has been called into question. Like even Crystal Hefner, in a recent interview I watched with her where she was promoting her book, she said that a lot of people uh, that appeared in that went in there in good faith and that they felt like they were taken out of context and they weren't happy with it. And the big red flag for me when I knew that, when it was sort of validated to me that there was, uh, I don't want to use the term misinformation, but it was just like sensationalism, bit of a hit job, was when the Shannon twins came out, they did an episode of Secrets of Playboy. Um, Again, like they were Hugh Hefner's ex-girlfriends for a while. They did uh, the Girls Next Door TV show. And they did an episode of Secrets of Playboy and they were totally lying. One of them had this story about how um, Hef made her have unprotected sex and then she fell pregnant and when uh, he found out he made her go and get an abortion but Holly had already said in her book and I think other people had verified this that Hugh wasn't even fertile at that stage like she Holly Madison had been trying to get pregnant to him and she had his sperm tested and the swimmers weren't working so girl how were you falling pregnant to Hugh Hefner when you came into the mansion afterwards like that is bs and uh there's a lot of stories actually about the shannon twins being like really wild and crazy and you know um 
I feel like they would say anything to get their name back out there. And there's just like a lot of cash grabs and a lot of revisionist history going on with the Playboy brand, especially since Hef died, because it's much harder to sue for defamation and to come back out. So, you know, people want to argue like, well, they were scared to come forward with their stories when he was alive and now they're free to, which I'm sure that like is part of it. Like there's definitely truth to like some stories that people have come out with. But then again, there's also like a lot of, uh, you know, post me to kind of cash grabs and attention seeking from, you know, a bunch of hookers that knew what they were getting into. So I read Crystal and Holly's books and I did walk away with more empathy for them, I would say. Uh, Crystal especially, because I actually think Crystal has tried to be more nuanced than Holly was. Like, I feel like Crystal's intention isn't to come on and just shit all over Playboy's legacy. I think she's just trying to give you a look into how she felt and experienced things internally. Like, her book actually isn't that salacious if you factor in um, that all of the tea in Crystal's book has pretty much already been spilled either in like Holly's book or the various documentaries and stuff. Like Crystal's book is more about her like mental health journey and inner turmoil because she's really introverted. She's a little odd and the book is very like pensive and kind of thoughtful. It's almost like just an inner monologue of a depressed introvert that finds herself in the Playboy mansion. And I was reading uh, some of the feedback online and on Reddit, and a lot of people were like, Crystal's book was actually really boring because it was just, you know, too introspective and we wanted, like, all of the tea. And there's a lot in there about her having daddy issues and, you know, my dad died and now I have Lyme disease and I'm depressed and I had to be on antidepressants and um, now I discovered social justice. But there um there was some juicy stories in there like there was stuff about how sex with Hef worked and how the women were recruited into the mansion and all the like the social dynamics of the women in the mansion that's also in Holly's book as well so it's not brand new but it is interesting to like see how there's like a hierarchy and girls climb up the ranks and different girls are like jockeying for position and some girls are sneaking out some girls are trying to manipulate Hef to get more money like there's just you know backstabbing between them there's a lot of that in there there's a lot of that in Holly's book as well and actually they're telling of the social dynamics in the mansion both in Holly and Crystal's books are very similar so you know that it's accurate now Holly's book is a banger. I fucking loved it. And I couldn't believe how good and juicy it was because I had avoided reading it for so long because I think I had um, a sort of misconception of what it was. Well, actually, it was what I thought it was, but there was more to it as well. And it was just written in a really, like, fun way. And it was very salacious. It was very, like, bitchy. And it was very... Hollywood, which I loved. It was like the small town girl who comes to Los Angeles for fame and fortune and uses her looks, you know, to get it and climbs the ranks and gets on TV and then ends up doing like, you know, a sexy peep show in Vegas. I loved it. I highly recommend it. Holly's like such a bitch and (laughs) she's really mean to like a lot of people in there, but Really, I would say that, like, both books are just sugar baby memoirs. So they give you an insight into, like, how women like that, how they think, how they feel, how they operate. And, look, I have zero sympathy for them at, like, there's no horror stories really in there at all. It's like, girl, you absolutely knew what you were signing up for. And they both kind of admit that, like, they wanted fame. Like, they are both literally just hookers that hit the jackpot. But... 
hookers can have feelings too. And like two things can be true at once. It's like, yes, I'm an escort that was, you know, manipulating my way into the Playboy mansion and doing what I could to become Hef's girlfriend and like different ways of making money and stuff. But like, it was also kind of miserable. And you know what was going through their mind through these books because, you know, being an escort in LA and getting fame and fortune and money, like it comes at a price. Like nothing is free, especially when you're selling your soul in Hollywood. So, you know, in both books, you kind of follow them as they end up in the Playboy Mansion. They have stars in their eyes. They're blinded by the glitz and glamour at first. And then they sink into depression as they spend years and years being Hugh Hefner's main girlfriends, which like, isn't that fun? You've got to fuck a shallow, narcissistic 80-year-old who puts your looks down and you've got a curfew and you have to be back at the mansion every night by a certain time. And then you have to sit around and watch old movies with Hef and pretend that it's interesting. And you're competing with a bunch of other hookers in the mansion who want your position. So they're trying to backstab you and they're all like, you know, it's like a bitchy sorority and you're not allowed to change your hair and makeup because you have to look exactly how Hef wants. The biggest takeaway from it is like being one of Hef's girls I think is really fun because, you know, you get an allowance and you get to go to all these fun parties and it's good for like social networking and stuff. But like being the main girlfriend for years on end, that's tough. And like you can get the biggest payout in the end as Holly and Crystal both did if you are that like main girlfriend and you stick around for like years and you work the system. But honey, it's not easy. So both Holly and Crystal admit that they were after fame and they were trying to boost their careers, especially Holly, which did shock me a bit because on Girls Next Door, she was portrayed as being like, you know, I'm in love with Hef. I'm the one that's like really here for Hef and to get married and um, and all of that as well. So they they acknowledge that, but like, it's hard to explain, but like they also downplay it a lot as well. Like... Crystal is definitely shy and introverted, but she was not nearly as naive as she tries to make herself out to be in the book. Like, before Hef, she was already dating some older guy, and they would do, like, coke together and go to porn conventions, and she was, like, a glamour model, like, an energy drink model, like, a promo model. So she would, you know, dress up in a fucking, like, bikini top in the 2000s and, you know, probably a G-string and go to the racing car rallies to sell energy drinks, you know, and she was around that scene. And she actually, um, after she got with Hef, oh, by the way, when she goes to the mansion for the first time, she never mentions that the girls next door was like the biggest fucking reality show. Like everyone that was around when the girls next door was on, that show was huge. That was like a fucking blockbuster sensation. Like everyone knew what that was. And especially if you're a girl like Crystal Hefner, like an energy drink model, of course, you know what the girls next door is, but like she acts like, oh, my friend, you know, got an invite to the Playboy Mansion. I tagged along, like not knowing what was going to happen. She makes no mention of like, oh yeah, there was a huge fucking hit show with millions of viewers a week that maybe I wanted to be part of. Um, Anyway, she gets with Hef and when she, she, okay, sorry, I'm getting all over the place, but basically fast forward a few years, she's the main girlfriend. She gets engaged to Hef. They're going to get married. And then right before they're going to get married, she does a runner. She runs away from the mansion and 
she ends up going back a few months later and she marries Hef and then they're together until Hef dies. But during that period when she ran away, she was actually dating Dr. Phil's son, Jordan McGraw, who was incredibly wealthy because Dr. Phil's worth almost like half a billion dollars. And then she also mentions at another time how some Arab uh, prince, you know, in Dubai, somewhere like that, wanted to fly her out for $400,000, but she declined. But You can just tell that she went after rich men, and also a lot of the girls in the Playboy Mansion, as much as they try to say how miserable it was being Hef's girlfriend, like, they had secret boyfriends on the side, and they would bounce if they got a better offer. And there's a lot of manipulation that Hef did in terms of, like, giving them the curfews and trying to sort of control how much money they had, because he knew what kind of girls they were. Like, if he gave them too much freedom, yeah, they're going to run off with fucking Dr. Phil's son or whatever, (laughs) so... He was manipulative, but he kind of had to be to, like, keep them there. And, you know, no one was fucking chained to the bed. Like, he made it very clear to all these girls that they were replaceable. And they frame it in the book like, um, you know, we felt like we could be replaced at any minute. Yeah, you could have. It's Hugh Hefner. Like, hello. Um, And Crystal definitely seems like a bimbo in the book and in interviews that I've watched. So, like, she, she's a bimbo. She has, like, a... She was a Disney adult, so if you're a Disney adult, like, you're probably not the sharpest thing upstairs, Uh, but she's very cunning when it comes to money. So, the way that she played it is she followed all the rules that Hef had, right, about, like, you can't save up too much money. Like, he gives them about $1,000. All the girlfriends get $1,000 allowance, but they track how it's spent so you can't just start like stashing that away and he would give you like fancy cars but he would lease the car so you'd have you know a rolls royce or whatever the hot car is a bmw or something but you couldn't just sorry i'm just adjusting the levels on this mic what is going on here okay i'm coming through yeah wait let me turn this up a bit i'm a bit paranoid okay is that can you guys hear me okay i think i'm just being paranoid with the levels on this um Yeah, he would give you these fancy cars and he would lease them. So then if you dumped him, then he could just take the car back, right? So he was very much trying to keep the girls financially dependent on him because, like, that's his power. The girlfriend's power is their youth and their beauty and the sex appeal. Hef has, you know, the wealth and the influence and the fame, okay? So that's that's how these transactional relationships work. So when Crystal went back to the mansion and then she married Hef, so, you know, he put a ring on it. She married him so he couldn't just easily throw her away. She started to use the clout of the Playboy brand to build up her social media following and become a a celebrity DJ, kind of like when Paris Hilton first got into DJing and made millions. So Crystal was DJing, you know, Crystal Hefner from Playboy and doing flat tummy tea ads on Instagram and, you know, teeth whitening and all of those things. And she was making heaps of money and she was quietly saving all of that money. And then she was secretly buying property and like investing with the money and not telling Hef. So Hef wasn't actually like giving her millions of dollars, but she was raking it in off of the Playboy name in a very clever way. And then on top of that, all of her expenses were paid. So Hef gave her an allowance still. You know, he paid for her car. He paid for her clothes. He paid for her gym. He paid for her plastic surgery. He paid for all of like, you know, beauty expenses. So in the book, she also tries to make out like she had this really terrible prenup and that she was told not to sign it. But then I did some Googling 
And TMZ and a few other outlets said that she got left about $5 million, and she got a beautiful Hollywood Hills home left to her that she got heft to buy her, which was also $5 million. So she cleaned up. Um, she currently lives in a really beautiful Mediterranean-style home slash mansion in West Hollywood, like the West Hollywood Hills. And she also owns like a property in Hawaii that she spends time at. And she was only 31 when Hef died. So she is set up for life. So yeah, I know it wasn't a walk in the park having to spend your 20s fucking somebody in their 80s, but it was worth the trade-off, you know? And look, we're all younger now, so kind of being in your 30s is more like actually like being in your 20s, and being in your 20s is more like being a teenager. So, you know, you squandered your 20s with you, but you knew what you were doing, you had a plan, you executed it, and then by 31, you were a multi-millionaire, and now you're set for the rest of your life, and you're still very attractive, so good for you, girl. And Holly actually lays into Crystal in her memoir, like, Holly is like, Crystal was actually a huge bitch and a snob, and she was mean to Hef, and she had ulterior motives. I actually don't really believe that. I find Crystal to be more credible than Holly, even though I think Crystal's a silent assassin, and she played a very subtle, low-key game into getting the money out of Hef in a different way than Holly did, but... I still find Crystal more genuine because if you watch, like, different interviews with Crystal, like, she really does seem, like, very introverted. Like, I don't think that it's an act or anything like that. Um, And I think she was a little bit more naive than Holly was. Holly's book is very bitchy. And Holly's, like, really mean to Kendra as well. Like, quite vicious to Kendra. And now I understand why Kendra hates her. Because when Holly came out with her book about how, you know, was a living hell at the Playboy Mansion, Kendra was like, girl, are you fucking serious? Like, you were such a bitch to all of us. You knew exactly what you were doing. You could have left it any time you wanted. You walked around the mansion with your nose up in the air like you were better than everybody and that you were, like, Hef's number one girl. And you were not really that nice to anybody. So... I'm not surprised because she was so mean to Kendra in the book and um, she's mean to other people. Pretty much every other model that isn't Holly gets framed like they're just a stupid bimbo and, you know, Holly, actually they both do that. Like that's actually in both in Holly and Crystal's books. They, they'll acknowledge that they were with Hef for like a career boost and that they, you know, did want fame, but they also will kind of act like, you know, we were the hookers with the heart of gold, you know, we're a bit naive, etc. And every other woman in the mansion was just a gold digging shark and they bullied us and they were so mean and they were all hookers and they were doing coke and like everyone else is like the stereotype of a gold digger and they're the hooker with the heart of gold. And it's like, girl, please, like, you guys just played a better game than these other girls, and you, like, won the game. And the way that they made girlfriend status, both of them, was that they were very manipulative. They both strategically stuck very close to Hef at all times. Like, if the other girls would go out, they would stay with Hef. And they did the classic sugar baby female manipulation tactic of just mimicking everything the guy is interested in. Like, Crystal's even admitted this in interviews and stuff. So... You know, 
if you want to like wow a guy that has like a big ego and a lot of money, you just like pretend that you love everything that they're into and you just tailor your whole persona to suit them. Both Holly and Crystal did that. They pretty much admit it. Like Crystal's like, yeah, you know, I didn't like the old movies, but I pretended that I was into all of them and um, that I was totally interested in uh, in Hef and all of the, you know, amazing things that he's done. I actually think that with Holly she did genuinely have more in common with Hef because Holly's very into, like, Marilyn Monroe and old Hollywood glamour. So I think Holly actually liked to sit back and watch the old movies, but she still tailored her persona to match what Hugh wanted. So they very much played the game to climb the ranks in the mansion and to become the number one girls. They're not so innocent. Um, I think Holly is a way bigger liar than Crystal is. Like... I said before, I still think Crystal has some respect for the Playboy brand and for Hef's legacy. And even if you look at, I was looking at uh, one of Crystal's house tours, she still has like Playboy stuff up in her house. Like she's got the original Marilyn Monroe cover. And I think she has some respect for the brand. Whereas Holly has just nonstop trashed Playboy ever since she left the mansion. And she fucking milks Playboy for everything it's worth as well. Like, she was in Secrets of Playboy. Then she got her Girls Next Level podcast with Bridget, which is actually doing really well. And it's, you know, let's re-watch the Playboy Girls Next Door show and recap it and talk about how horrible Playboy is. Then she got the Playboy Murders, which is a new true crime series about, you know, everyone getting killed in the Playboy Mansion or something. And, like, before this whole like, post-MeToo wave of anti-Playboy sentiment, Holly was, like, back on OnlyFans. Like, a few years ago, she was literally like, yeah, I'm on OnlyFans, guys. Like, so I feel like she'll just do anything. Like, she's a la-la Kent, basically. (laughs) I feel like she'll do whatever to get ahead. Oh, yeah, she also came out as uh, being autistic. She was like, yeah, I'm autistic now, and I think that's why I got manipulated by Hef. Like, girl, shut up. Like, sit down. And I actually like Holly, and it sounds like I don't, but I, I actually do. But um, a lot of people have called bullshit on her. Like, when she first dropped that memoir, another playmate came out and was like, basically said what Kendra said. Was like, yeah, she was the biggest bitch in the mansion. She was jealous of everybody else. She was desperate to marry Hef um, and have his baby because she wanted to get into his will. And she would do all of the things in the bedroom that we didn't want to do. So she would do um, anal sex with Hef all the time. And she would like giving and receiving. So this playmate said that Holly used to peg Hef. And they said that's why Holly's so kind of ashamed and against Playboy now, because she pretty much was like doing anything with Hef to like get that coveted position. And, you know, then she obviously dumped Hef when she got super famous off of Girls Next Door. And it was like, oh, I don't need to stick around with you anymore because now I'm like a big reality star and I can go off and do all these other things, which is understandable. Like, good for you, girl. Like, that's the whole thing, right? Use the Playboy platform to advance your career, which you did, but she was a total gold digger. And um, there was another accusation that I actually heard about Holly just this week on like a new podcast. One of my listeners sent it to me. So one thing that Crystal shares in her book and... um. Holly kind of talks a bit about this as well, is that one of the things that would happen with Hef's girlfriends is that the more experienced girlfriends that have been there for a long time and kind of like knew how everything worked, they would try to find fresh meat for Hef to fuck all the time. And their kind of thought process with it was like, 
if I can entertain Hef with some, like, new girls, then I won't have to have sex with them. Like, they were all trying to avoid having sex with this 80-year-old, right? Or they could, you know, distract him with some new girls so they could, like, sneak out and go see their boyfriends. And um, on this podcast I was listening to, there was this comedian. He said he was dating a really big playmate at the time of, like, Girls Next Door. So when, like, Holly and Bridget and everything were with Hef... And this playmate had been spilling all the tea to him about Holly and, yeah, basically said Holly was a huge bitch and that Holly and Bridget would go down to Santa Monica all the time and they would, like, find these young girls, like, to recruit, like, young thirsty girls that had just, you know, hit L.A., and had the look of like, oh, you know, this looks like a girl that would want a party and would go, hey, do you want to come to the Playboy Mansion? Like, it'd be really fun. We're having a, a pool party. And the girls would be like, oh, my God, yeah. And then they would come back. And then obviously they would kind of get plied with alcohol, allegedly, according to this person. I don't know this for a fact. Don't sue me. But then they would, you know, get led to have sex with Hugh, 80-year-old Hugh. And then Bridget and Holly could sneak out and go see their secret boyfriends because all the girls in the mansion actually did have secret boyfriends that they would hang out with during the day and then they'll just come back to the mansion for curfew and do their duties with Hugh. So Holly was um really mean in the book and yeah, she makes everyone else sound like an idiot except for herself. She trashes Chris Angel a lot, who she dated after who she dated after Hugh. And I'm sure he is a massive douchebag, to be honest. But it's just like she has a pattern of making kind of everybody out to be an asshole except herself, with this, which is suspicious. Like, she even is like, you know, I never recruited other women. I think Crystal says that too. Like, we would never want other women to go through what we did. And it was, you know, these other girls that would do the recruiting. It's like, mm, I don't know if I believe that, honey. And, um... As soon as she left the mansion too, she gets really, like, uppity about distancing herself from the Playboy brand. And in the book, like, she's talking about going on her press tours when she does, like, Dancing with the Stars and her Vegas show. And she gets really pissy whenever she gets called, like, half-sex girlfriend or, like, Playboy model. And this is, like, a few months after they split. And she's like, I don't want to be associated with that. And I swear to God, as someone that works in the media, I'm telling you, it is always the most fucking untalented people, like, you know the titty model that got cast on Love Island or whatever that then suddenly wants to, like, distance themselves from that and thinks that they're above it and doesn't have to talk about it. Like, it'll be some bimbo that gets famous because she fucked a celebrity or whatever, and then you'll do an interview with them and you'll try to ask them about the relationship and then they won't talk about it. And it's like, girl, this is the only reason anybody knows you and now you won't talk about the one thing we know you for. And, like, Holly was doing that. Like, I was very eager to, you know, separate myself from this, which, like, I get, but, like, get off your high horse, girl. Like, who do you think you are? And actually um, was YouTubing a few old Holly interviews from when the book came out and, you know, the interviewers would ask annoying questions about, like, what was it like in the mansion? And I'm sure that Holly does get sick of answering it, but yeah, she would be like rude and try to like not answer the question. Now, of course, she'll talk about it fucking all day because she ran out of other things to promote and had to go back to Playboy. So now she has a whole fucking podcast about it. So just really annoying, but I do still recommend her book. It's very fun. It's very juicy. The audiobook is great. Like it's really animated. At first, I kind of didn't like it because I read Crystal's first, the audiobook, and Crystal's like, she doesn't, her voice isn't um, 
there's not a lot going on there. And it's actually quite a depressing, pensive listen. And then I went to Holly's, which is like kind of like whimsical and cheeky. But yeah, it's really good. You just have to use some critical thinking um, when you listen to it and be like, look, Holly's painting herself in the best possible light. She kind of did write this to make herself look a certain way because she's trying to advance her own career. And it's advantageous for her to make Hef sound as bad as possible. But like, I still think her feelings are valid. At the end of the day, it would not be a fun time having a fucking old man and having to obey by a curfew and having to be judged completely by your looks and to not have a lot of control. And I think a better title for the book, for both books actually, would be like The Price of Fame, How I Played Playboy, because that's what it's about. It's about these two hookers in Hollywood who sold a bit of their soul for fame and found out that, you know, nothing is free. Also, I will say, they do not have shit on Hef in terms of, like, you know, assaults or, like, Me Too type stuff. Really, it's just that, like, yeah, he was a dick and he'll be, like, rude to them sometimes, but they were all free to leave whenever they wanted. They really tried to go into a lot of the manipulation of it and how, like, you know, he ground down my self-esteem and I just felt like I was arm candy and he didn't really like care about my feelings. He just wanted to talk about himself. It's like, well, yeah, he's an egomaniac. Um, He created a whole fantasy world for himself. He created a playboy mansion that he never had to leave where beautiful women and celebrities would come to him and he could just be the king in the castle and put his magazine out. And he's Hugh fucking Hefner. Like he's an icon. Like you're literally a Hooters girl that got off the fucking first bus from Alaska and you came to LA to suck and fuck your way to the top and you did it. So we don't feel sorry for you. Like that's the arrangement. Like you're coasting off your looks. Like that's what you get. You stayed there because you wanted to be a playmate and you were hoping to maybe like marry Hef. And it actually, I will say, Hef doesn't sound like a great guy, but I feel like as far as, like, sugar daddies and stuff go, like, you could do a lot worse. Like, you could be flown out to the Middle East to get shit on. Like, that's what they do to girls out there. Like, they take them there and they piss and shit on them and humiliate them and do all these, like, they really treat them like like meat and trash over there. I mean, some girls go over there and I'm sure they have, like, a great time and they don't have to do all of the gross stuff. But, like, there's a big element of that. Or even if you look at, like, porn now like it's really aggressive like it's funny as much as i talk about how i like love the porn industry and stuff i actually think porn especially now is really bad on women that's actually kind of why i like OnlyFans because i feel like it's a lot safer and women can just sort of like have their own control and do just like solo things and i mean a lot of them sell their image to out like to third-party companies it's not even them like a lot of girls that have a following on OnlyFans, they just give their account to like a someone else who runs it and replies to all of the messages and they give them a cut of the money. So I feel like it's a lot safer. And if you look at a lot of porn now, like I feel like it's like very aggressive to it. Like it's too much. Like it's like, you know, spitting on women and like face fucking them until they're like dry retching everywhere and trying to do like triple penetrations. Like it's really like horrible stuff. And, you know, you look at what Holly and Crystal had to do. It's like, okay, you had to sleep with Hugh Hefner a few times a week while living in a mansion and you had to watch, you know, Casablanca once a year. Like, come on, girl. Like, then you got onto a fucking TV show and he gave you enough freedom that you were allowed to, like Crystal Hefner, you were allowed to go out and do DJ sets 
you know, and do flat tummy tea ads. Like, it's not that fucking bad, girl. Holly used all of her fame from Playboy to become a multi-millionaire. Like, she did not walk away broke, okay? She got ripped off on the E! show for sure because it wasn't a great contract, but, like... She wrote two best-selling tell-all books. She did this really successful topless show in Vegas again using her looks. Um, like, she did in Playboy, which is fine. Like, go for it, girl. But she did this very successful peep show in Vegas for, like, a few years. And then she bought a huge mansion in Vegas. If you look it up online, it's really beautiful. It has the indoor and an outdoor pool. It's massive. Then she married some club promoter who was very, very successful. They had an $8 million home in LA together at some point. Like, and you have to kind of remember too, the thing about getting in Playboy back in the day, it wasn't just like, oh, I want to like, you know, book this magazine pictorial for my career. Like for a certain type of girl back in the day, who's going to go to LA and try break into nude modeling, getting into Playboy, becoming a playmate, that's like if you have your dating profile featured on the front page of, you know, millionairematchmaker.com. Like, yes, it could lead to more modeling work and maybe you'll get, you know, some acting jobs. You get on tool time like Pam Anderson or like Jenny McCarthy, like probably not, but maybe, or you might get a bit part in you know, some drama where you're playing, you have one line and you're playing a stripper at a strip club or something and that's your acting career. But it is going to drive up your rates as an escort if you're doing that. Like if you're out there doing the escort, high high class, I'm talking about high class escorting in LA. Once you're a playmate, back in the day, obviously there's no playmates now, but back then if you're a playmate, that is going to send your rates through the roof. It's going to get you into a certain tier of dating where you could bag a celebrity boyfriend. A lot of like rock stars and musicians and stuff end up marrying playmates or you could get paid to go to Dubai. Like Crystal Hefner was offered 400000 to go to Dubai because, you know, she was a playboy girl. Or you could marry some hotshot millionaire Hollywood producer or some like, you know, douchebag businessman that wants the cloud of going, yeah, I married a hot playmate. Like you were considered like the cream of the crop of that type of girl for, you know, and guys that want that type of girl. By the way, speaking of high class escorts, I maybe have some tea, something I found. I don't want to accuse anybody of anything and I want to get sued, but you know, Holly's book she talks about this um, escorting ring called Nikki's Girls that was big back in the day. I actually hadn't heard of it, but now I've done the deep dive on it. Very juicy. And it was this high-class escort ring, and it was all, like, playmates, you know, actresses. Obviously not A-list actresses, but, you know, like, hot, hot working actresses and, like, WWE divas and, you know, like, models, like, that kind of crew. And they would get flown out to Turkish billionaires and there was, a, you know, a lot of money to be made, um, cream of the crop of escorting. And Hef actually had really strict rules against escorting and you couldn't do drugs and you couldn't be a hooker because Playboy girls were actually supposed to be a lot classier than, like, porno chicks. So you kind of, I mean, it, the irony is that all of Hef's girlfriends were hookers for him, but they couldn't be out like doing the hooker circuit. And if they were, they would get axed and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't be a girlfriend or anything like that. So the playmates would escort on the down low. And I started Googling Nikki's girls after Holly was talking about it in a book. I'm like, oh, what is this Nikki's girls? And I found an old article with photos of the madam, Michelle Braun, who ran Nikki's girls. And she's with like different celebs at parties. 
And one article was from 2009, but the photo obviously predated 2009. It was this madam with the actor Terence Howard and a pre-Housewives Lisa Hochstein. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Lisa Hochstein, okay. I'm not saying she was a hooker. Maybe they were just at the same party, but... I do know in 2013, because I googled this, uh, Lisa sued this, like, random person on the internet who commented on a website saying that um, Lisa was escorting and that she'd done, like, softcore porn in Vegas, and she tried to, like, sue this random commenter. Um, Also, in old seasons of Miami, actually, Lisa... And Adriana accused Joanna Krupa of being a hooker at one of the reunions. Um, So, all very interesting. Who knows? You know, we're just just talking about things. We're not accusing anybody of anything. I just think that if you see a beautiful woman who seems to have, like, a beautiful young woman who seems to have, like, you know, oh, my God, how'd you afford that apartment? And great car. And she's around a lot of wealthy men, and you can't actually tell what she does for a living. And when you ask her, she's like, oh, I'm a model, I do acting, I do um, eyelash extensions. She may have a sponsor. There was this girl that I used to go to um, F45 training with in Sydney. Like, she was really nice, and she had the craziest BBL. Keep in mind, like, even in Sydney, which is, like, the biggest city in Australia... You don't see girls walking around with BBLs. Like, this isn't Miami. Like, it's just not really a a thing in Australia. You know, people aren't walking around with all kinds of, like, crazy plastic surgery. And she had, like, the biggest lips and the biggest BBL. And the second I saw her, I was like, uh, escort. Like, I could just tell. And she was actually really shy. And I was like, oh, you know, what do you, you know, what do you do for a living? And she's like, oh, I um have a business doing uh, eyelash extensions. I was like, okay, um, sure, girl. Anyway, that's it for the week. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm not sure when you'll see me again because I might have a few busy weeks coming up. I have my visa interview this weekend to get approved, and then as soon as it's approved, I'm basically meant to like book like the next flight and get over there but there could be some delays with it i'm not actually sure i have no idea really what my schedule is going to be like i could be in the u.s this month or something could get delayed so we'll see what happens i am on patreon almost every week there's a lot of extra content on there and you can also message me on patreon if you have like questions and requests for the show and stuff so uh yeah the link for that is always in the comments thanks guys bye (laughs) 